Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 119. If you'd stand, we'll sing together. are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin.
Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we give you thanks and acknowledge that you are the one who has called us, who called us to gather as your people in your presence. And we give you thanks for your attention and care for us. And Lord, in your mercy, we ask that you would receive us. Receive us this day, receive our worship, our prayers, our, our, our calls to you. We ask that in your, this worship service, as we know the depth of your love and the sufficiency of your grace. Lord, impress upon our hearts again the shelter that is your loving kindness. In our stress and worries, in our overwhelmed situations, remind us again that you are a refuge, that you are a rock that cannot be moved, and that you are the one who delights in lifting up those who have fallen down. And so, Lord, we ask that you would use this service, uh, use our song, singing, the, our prayers, that you'd use the word and sacraments, Lord, to help us to know how to live. Give us the understanding of what it means to obey and to walk in your ways. For we gather as those with many questions and with choices that we have to make, and we ask that you would make clear to us the ways that are good and right and true. Lord, we come as a people who are marked by fear and worry and uncertainty. We come with busy schedules even in the midst of summer, feeling overwhelmed uh, in our home or in our work or wherever we would go. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our bank accounts. We worry about what's ahead of us. Lord, we worry about what we see around us, the, the heat and the air quality. We worry about our health and the connection we have to others. We worry about our children and our spouse and those we love. And so we ask as we face these concerns, that your spirit would be with us and that you'd help us to navigate this life with your word being a, a light onto our path, a lamp for our feet, that your good and true word would make clear to us what is right, that we might not get lost in the weeds of life, but may find the path of life. We ask this by your grace that you would care for us and meet us in the midst of all that we are experiencing that we may know your love and walk in your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, children who are going to go to children's worship can make their way to the back and head down the hallway and meet uh, Melinda there that will take them to their class. We're going to continue with our worship through a time of confession and assurance. This is a chance for us to remember that, that we are different from God, that God is the one who is holy and God invites us to come in honesty, not with pledges to do better, but with honesty resting in his grace. So we'll do this together uh, through our responsive reading and song and have a time of personal confession as well. I invite you to join with me. Lord, we gather as your covenant people and we seek to hear your word and know your will for our lives. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. you to take a moment of quiet to bring your personal needs and confessions to God. we give you thanks that you hear our prayers. You hear the cries that we speak aloud, but you also hear the cries of our hearts. And we thank you in your wonder that you see all of our needs, but do not turn away, but you draw near to us. With your grace, your grace that is greater than our sin, and the promise that in Christ we belong to you. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. I invite you to stand. Uh, having confessed our sins, it's good to hear words of assurance. These come from 1 John 4. I invite that we can read these together. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in them and they in God. Amen. Well, as Christ has welcomed us in his grace, let's turn to each other and welcome each other in the name of Christ.
New Testament, oops. The New Testament lesson is from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the, apost <coughs> through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Our gospel lesson is from John 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go to bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thank you, Kim, for reading God's word for us. Well, our passage this morning, it comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. One of, no, one of the many notable things about this letter is that Paul, uh, he's writing this epistle from prison in a time of uncertainty. Uncertainty about his future and whether God will, will grant him the opportunity to, to continue his work. I mean, the atmosphere around Paul is, is difficult and taxing, and yet Paul's response is disarming. I mean, his letter is bright and reflective and vulnerable, and you almost get this sense, this impression that Paul is, is freed up, he's free despite being in chains. He seems mature and, and purposed. I mean, you may even wonder, you know, how, how did he get this way? How is he writing in this particular way? I mean, Paul is all too eager to talk about how his present circumstances, as difficult and painful as they may be, how they move him into the story of Jesus. And for him, Jesus' suffering and hardship and his hardship and suffering are completely connected. That it is clear that the that that lived in union with Christ, it's transforming him. It's freeing him up and making him whole. And Philippians is 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 also a book that captures well the longings that we are experiencing. Paul longs to see his friends, and he is not able to do, do that. He longs to see these people that he has a deep affection towards, and, and we can feel the anguish around that distance, around the separation between them. We can even hear the, the painful uncertainty in his voice because he doesn't know when he'll see them again. Paul has this beautiful mission partnership with the church at Philippi. And part of this partnership, it includes a practical support 
They help provide for Paul while he is in prison, while he was in prison. And this partnership is embodied for Paul in his friendship with a, uh, with a man, a man named Epaphrodites. And you see that the church in Philippi, they sent Epaphrodites to, to support him, to help him. And Paul is not shy. He's not shy about his feelings for this friend. His warm feelings capture well the, the intentional bonds established, even across distance and isolation. And I'll say one more thing about this book. Is that at the heart of it is that it is a book that grabs a hold of joy. It's overwhelmingly present in this letter. And what is important for us is that it doesn't do so in, in some cheap way, in some manufactured veneer of happiness or self-talk. No, Paul's joy is full-bodied. It's sturdy. It's unmoved by the circumstances that he finds himself in. I mean, his joy is really refined. It has been places. It has seen some things. You see, Paul's joy, he knows the constant ache of loneliness that can tangle us up in depression, in detachment, in the anxious worry that we all hold. Paul's joy knows that anxious heart that beats with fear, the, the concerns of not having enough, or that longing for security. And Paul's joy, he knows what it's like to pass through illness, his own illness and that of his friend. And Paul's joy takes, he takes the long way around, through the loneliness, through the anxiety, through the illness and death, and is made strong and sturdy in his union with Christ. He knows that he shares all of this with Jesus, and he knows he shares all of this with his friends in Philippi, and he shares this joy with us too. And so this is, this is the atmosphere. It is the, the, the big view of what is going on in this letter to this church at Philippi. But I want to I narrow in. I want to narrow and focus in on, on part of this letter. So let's, let's turn together to Philippians 1. I'm going to start in verse 27, and I go through chapter 2, verse 4. Let me read together. <coughs> Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So this is God's word. It's given for our good. So 
can you pray for us? Father, um, however we are coming today, would you meet us, join us by your spirit, and may we hear the, the good news, may we hear the grace of Christ, and may it meet us uh, as we are, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our text, we find out that Paul's friends are facing difficulty. Paul mentions their opponents in verse 28. He, we don't know exactly who those opponents were. We don't know, know exactly who it is that Paul is talking about. We don't know exactly even the nature of that opposition. But he does give us a hint about it in verse 30. He says, when he says they are in the same conflict that he's having. So they have an empire problems. And of course, the, the Christian faith, when it is lived out fully, when it is lived out in a, a full red-blooded way, it has always, always been unsettling to the status quo. I mean, when Christiani Christianity is fully lived out and embodied in this world, I mean, some people find it unbearably beautiful and compelling. And some people, many people, especially those who are in power, find Christianity to be deeply threatening. The powers that, that be can make your life, and they often did, make his life hard. But Paul's friends are hungry, hungry for a good that they are finding it hard to get at. They're being opposed. And so here are Paul's first words to his friends in that place. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I mean, Paul is saying to them, live like Jesus told us to live. Now, this is not how Paul usually talks about our way to live. It's not how he usually talks about ethical behavior. I mean, the metaphor he normally uses for that is, is walking. It is a beautiful metaphor, but the one he uses here, the one he uses here is, is a really, really different one. It is a word that he was used in the wider culture to mean following through on your obligations as a citizen. Some of your uh, Bibles may even have a footnote explaining that that is what that word means. And I think Paul, he chooses this word really carefully, right? He, Philippi is uh, this Roman colony, and the people he is writing to are Roman citizens, and I don't doubt for a moment that they heard uh, that they had heard for most of their lives about all of the rights and obligations of that citizenship. So Paul uses a word that that carried deep meaning for them. He uses this incredibly uh, evocative word, but he isn't evoking their allegiance to the empire or to Rome. He is evoking citizenship in the kingdom of Jesus. He's reminding them perhaps in the face of this opposition, that their highest allegiance is to Jesus, who is the world's true king. And so, I mean, the question is, you know, what does this mean for people like us? <laughs> well, for one thing, it means that we are people who cannot retreat into a subculture. Can't huddle up into some kind of homogenous enclave. Right, the call to be a citizen worthy of the kingdom of Jesus, that is a call to walk around everywhere for the eyes of the watching world. 
for the life of that watchman. I mean, that's what Jesus did, and that's what we are invited to do as well. And this is what Paul says, that, that he, wants to, he wants to hear about them, whether he ends up being executed and dying, whether, every, wh- whether he ever gets to see them again. He says, this is what I want to hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, that you are with one mind, striving side by side with the faith of the gospel, that you're not afraid in anything from your opponents. That is clearly... Right? It's, not, it's clearly not a church that has retreated into itself. It's a church that is united. It's a church that is united around what Jesus taught us, that, that you are the salt of the earth, that you are the light of the world, to let your light shine in front of others. So these are Paul's first words to his friends in trouble. He says, keep living like Jesus taught us how to live. Keep together. Don't be afraid. I mean, (laughs) I need to hear that, and maybe you need to hear that too. And the second word that he gives to them is just as bracing. He says that it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. If you follow Jesus, at some point in your life, you're probably going to take it on the chin. Right? Don't be surprised to the arduous road to hope. I mean, don't be surprised. Right? Paul's not talking here about the difficulty of human beings in a fallen world. I mean, that's really important to him. He talks about it in other places. But no, here he is talking about the trouble we get for keeping the faith. He's talking about the trouble we get uh, for our true citizenship. And why is that? Well, it's because Christians are called to be people who genuinely, genuinely love their neighbors. Jesus calls people, people who genuinely follow him, to be a people who walk a mile with people. To walk further than we have been asked with people. People who may indeed be taking advantage of us. I mean, followers of Jesus are people who believe that all of our stuff and all of our time, our possessions, our money, even our very bodies, we believe that these things belong to God first, and they have been given to us to use for the good and the life of the world. We believe that there is uh, way more to life and living and existence than the things that we can see with our eyes in the present, the things that we can touch with our hands. We believe that there is another kingdom, that there is another homeland to which we owe allegiance before anything else. And friends, people who believe those things and actually embody those things can be deeply threatening for a lot of reasons. People who embody those things uh, unsettle unsettle the settled. They unsettle the settled and they challenge the powers that are seen and the powers that are unseen at the very root. I mean, they killed Jesus for living that way. So don't be surprised (laughs) at your own arduous road to hope that you have to walk on. And so Paul says to his friends, and he says it to, to me and he says it to you, knowing that the hope that we hunger for, it is sure. 
we will see that hope. We will taste that hope. Jesus, who we follow, has made it secure for us, and it is by his grace and mercy he will lead us safely home. So let's walk behind him, unafraid, with full courage and joy. Well, the Apostle Paul, he, uh, he leans in further, and he makes this personal appeal, this personal appeal to his friends and to you and to me. And he says this, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, together, united, and in, and in unison. And it's, it is really important, I think, to, to remember why Paul is moving them towards unity. It's not only so that they can get along with one another, although that is certainly a part of it and an important part of it, but Paul is moving them towards unity because their common life is a sign to the watching world of the truth and of the beauty and the coherence of what they believe. I mean, the gospel that, that Jesus is the world's true king has been given for the life of the world, and their common life is a sign to the truth of that and the beauty of that. Jesus, on his last night with the disciples, he prayed for unity in the church. He prayed that the church would become perfectly one so that the world would know that the, that the Father loves them. And our unity as a church is a sign of, of God's self-giving love to the world. And so the question then is, what does that look like? What, what does that look like for people like me and you? Well, Paul begins with what sounds like a, a series of, of questions. I mean, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, if there is any participation in the spirit, if there's any affection or any sympathy. It's like Paul is appealing to their experience together as a people. He's asking these questions like, doesn't being woven into a community of broken yet redeemed people, doesn't that bring you comfort? Haven't you ever found your, yourself loved by a people in a church and maybe even surprisingly, it was like they understood what I needed and they moved to meet that need, to connect in a meaningful way. Haven't you uh, felt the presence of the Spirit of God through this church, perhaps when you ha have seen a need in another and you sought them out, even though it may have been costly to you because you saw them and it connected deep you felt compassion, you wanted to help them in a way that meant something to them. You've been haven't we been drawn to one another? And what Paul expects is that his friends will make an honest evaluation of their life together. And they will say, <laughs> yes, of course those things are there. And if you're a follower, hopefully you can say that the same thing is true for you in your own life, in your life in the church. Not, not perfectly, I'm sure. Not perfectly, but presently. Right? They are here in the church, and they are life-giving, and that doesn't happen accidentally. I mean, these things happen when a church is united together around something. And that's Paul's point, right? Is, is so he says, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. The same mind, the same love, in full accord. 
Now, I know that if we listen to that, if we hear that, if we, re- if <laughs> we really hear it, that might sound like, like something that is incredibly difficult for us to do, maybe even impossible to do. I mean, we are a people, we, <laughs> we are a church with all kinds of different opinions and preferences. We have theological differences and different politics and different secondary values and, and different interests. I mean, how are people like us going to have the same love? How are people like us going to have the same love? Well, friends, it's, um, it's a really important question. And it's really important to know that, that Paul's not calling the church into some kind of homogeneity, into some kind of lockstep thinking about everything Jesus, about everything. I mean, Jesus wasn't praying about that either in his prayer that, he, that, that, that we would be fully one. And I know I'm, I'm aware that our culture, this world that we swim around in, that is in front of our eyes and is in front of our screens every day, I, I know that this culture has turned just about every disagreement that's possible into some kind of locked down moral binary blood sport. <laughs> but friends, we don't have to play that game. We can't play that game. We can disagree about things in love. We can disagree even about things that we find important with love for one another. Homogeneity is not the kind of unity that Paul means. So what is it? What is the love, the one love? What is this one mind that he wants us to have? Well, we start to get a sense for what that love is in his next words. They're deeply, deeply challenging words. (laughs) Let me just read them. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Count others as more significant than you and look after their interests. Well, one of the truest and poignant in simple ways, Jesus invites us to words like this. He says something very similar. He says that whatever you wish that others would do to you, you offer to them. What if my neighbor, in her particular place, with her particular struggles and difficulties, what if I were her, what would I want someone to do for me? What would I need someone to do for me? And once I have answered that question as best as I can, then, then I do it as best as I can. I mean, that's what Paul and Jesus are telling us to do. What if I were a refugee, far from home, trying to feel some sense of home in this really strange place? What would I want someone to do for me? What would I need someone to do for me? If I were a, a stay-at-home mom, a, a working mom, running hard all day, every day, to keep those plates spinning, falling into bed every night, completely exhausted. What would I want someone to do for me? What would I need someone to do for me? What if I were a regular, (laughs) everyday kid, anxious, anxious about my grades, anxious about my body, anxious about where I fit in to the social order in my school? I mean, What would I need someone to do for me? What would I want someone to do for me? 
What if I was the one whose close friend passed away? What if I was the one who usually looked different in a lot of the groups that I find myself in? What if I was the guy who just lost his job? What if I was the person who felt deeply alone? What if I was the person nursing regrets that I, that, that I, I think I can never shake? What would I need someone to do for me? What would I need someone to do for me? And I know, friends, I know that we, we don't know the answer to all of those questions. I sure don't know the answer to all of those questions. But what I do know is that we can figure those out by simply asking the a person that we are thinking about, diving more deeply into the lives of the people around us. And friends, these, these may not be flashy, showy activities, but they are sought. And they are full of brilliant skill. Because through them, through these actions, Jesus is present to our neighbors. And friends, it is through these kinds of activities that we demonstrate that we are of one love and of one mind and in full accord with Christ. We apply wisdom to these situations. We, we, we apply questions to seek understanding. We apply love and we we may not always agree with what that looks like, but underneath all of it, underneath all of it, is a desire to give of ourselves for the good of others. And of course, <laughs> we have all of these things, having one mind, being in full accord, we can grab hold of that, as Paul says in the immediate words after our text. He says all of these things are ours to have because of he is the source of our unified life together. And let me, just, let me just read those next words. It's a hymn, a beautiful and moving and powerful words about Jesus. Paul says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, help us as we hear these things to be a people who stop and take in your words. That we can join that beautiful hymn we just heard. Seeing Jesus in all his glory. Falling down with all of, all of those who fall down. Confessing that he is Lord exalted above all father help us remember that it is that 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 jesus that loved us first and is changing us into the people who can love in the way that he did lord unite us around that love for our good and for the good of this fallen world we pray in jesus name amen if you'd stand we'd respond with singing we praise thee oh god for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who 
God, you have established us in Christ, and by your spirit have put your seal on us. We rest in your faithfulness as we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. God's word, uh, we're invited to the table that he sets for his people. This past week, I had the privilege of being in St. Louis uh, at Covenant Seminary, where there was uh, a meeting for a number of people getting ready to start new churches, plant churches in different parts of the country, all over uh, the country from West Coast to 
to the East Coast, Texas, all over the place. I don't know what Texas called. Yeah. Um, and so, but I was reminded, I was reminded in that moment, um, the church doesn't belong to just one place or to one language or to one expression, but that the church uh, takes form all over the country, all over the world. And as the church gathers, we gather around a common table, a table that God sets for his people, a table for God's children, God's family through Christ. And so this is a wonderful sign, not only of God's love for us, but the fellowship that we share with one another, but also the churches all over our city, all over our country, all over the world. And not just now, but throughout time as well. And as Pastor Brian reminded us, we gather at this table not just to think about what we are going to do or how what we've done, but this table invites us to this same love, this love of Christ, something that we can see and hold and taste, in which we see the one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, becoming a servant, humbling himself to death, even death on the cross for you and for me. We're reminded of this love this broke in the broken bread and this cup. And this is the love that invites us individually and as a church and for all churches to find who we are and who we're called to be. So this table is an invitation. If you are one who has faith in Christ, if you know of your need before God and place your hope in Christ, then come, eat and drink of this table. Be nourished. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, do not know that same love, then let this table be an, a witness, a sign, an invitation to this way of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We thank you for this table that tells us and shows us and allows us to see again who you are, the nature of your kingdom, in which the last become first, the, the ones who are low are brought high, the ones with broken hearts are binded up in your grace. And that these good gifts come not because of the great accomplishments that we do, but by your grace through your son, Jesus, who bore in his body our sin and shame to give us new life. We ask that this day that we would experience that and rest in that good news. We ask this in Jesus' name. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way for supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever we drink it, we do, do so in remembrance of me. For often we eat this bread and drink this cup. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you're taking communion today, I invite you to come down the center aisle and you can receive the bread and the cup at the table. And I ask that you go back on the sides. If you're able to hold the elements, uh, please do so that we can hold them until everyone's been served, that we eat and drink together as one family. If you're not taking communion today, we still invite you to come forward. We're glad you're here. Come forward and put your arm across your chest or, and Pastor Brian and I can offer a prayer of peace and blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward now. Let us receive uh, the gifts that God's given for his people.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. I invite you to stand in response to the table that we can pray and sing and confess as God's people. Lord Jesus Christ, you have taught us that love is shown by serving others. Give us wisdom and courage to tell our neighbors about your death and resurrection, and give us grace to love and serve even those with whom we disagree. Help us to trust your promise to make all things new as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Spirit builds one church, united in one Lord and one hope, with one ministry around one table. The Spirit calls all believers in Jesus to respond and worship together, to accept all the gifts from the Spirit, to learn from each other's traditions, to make unity visible on earth. We're going to continue uh, our time of worship through uh, our gi giving. It's a chance for us to respond to the generosity of God. So I invite the, the greeters to come forward with uh, the offering and the um, baskets for communion. So there's gray baskets you can put your communion cups in, and then there's silver offering plates. If you'd like to give a gift, you can do so. Also, you can see a note in your order that you can give uh, through the church's website or by text as well if you're interested in that. I uh, just want to take a moment to say welcome. Glad that you're worshiping here this morning, especially if you're visiting. Uh, it's really good uh, to have you here and glad you could join us. Um, there, there are um, black information pads under the, uh, the chair in the center aisle. If you could reach down and, and grab those, that'd be great. Uh, fill it out and pass it down. It'd be great to know uh, who's worshiping and who you're worshiping with today, so you can fill it out and just pass it down. Um, and just also know that there is a time of coffee and bagels after the service. So right behind us in the hallway, uh, there's, uh, there's food and drinks there. Hope you can stay after, a chance to get to know each other better. You can enjoy it uh, in the hallway, or you can head outside um, to the playground and to the tables outside. Um, one other thing just to, to make sure you know about, I mentioned in the beginning, but just to, to remind you that this Wednesday, July 19th, is our first uh, summer cookout. And the Shepherds and the Teenies are hosting. Uh, it's up on Gunnison, 2533 West Gunnison, so just a short distance north of here. Everyone's invited. Please uh, join us. Uh, it's at 6.30 on Wednesday night. I uh, hope you can come to the cookout and enjoy our time together. Let's continue giving our gifts uh, for the work of God in the church. <laughs>
God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>